Good evening, Patriots. It is still January 11th, Tuesday. Still, <laughs> kind of still my birthday again, right? It's good. Hey, and it is big news, like big, big news, that we actually I announced it. I actually announced it on the chat on Sunday night, but tonight we'll announce it big time. We have passed 20 million, 20 million downloads. That's crazy, Bill. And it's often awesome. So 20,065,396, if that number's current, it looks like it changed already. Look at that, 20,074,363. That's awesome. So that is fantastic. What a great thing for the whole channel, growing wildly. We're still going to be like up there with the big boys. We're not quite in the big boy range yet. But I think we do have more interviews or more uh, followers than CNN, which isn't hard to do, but... At least we can proudly say more more than CNN, which is awesome, which I'm happy about. All right, Patriots, before we begin tonight, MyPillow.com, MyPillow.com. That is the home of our favorite place to buy stuff from Mike Lindell. He is, um, his company is probably one of the best companies in America for all they do. And they do do a lot of great stuff. And I think if I get up here, we have a new commercial from Mike. I'm going to, 
I'm going to play this for you tonight. Here we go. Hello, I'm Mike Lindell, CEO of MyPillow. Cancel culture has not only affected myself and MyPillow, but also millions of you out there. My employees and I want to personally thank each and every one of you for all your support. At MyPillow, we have hundreds of products now, including my new slippers, bathrobes, sleepwear, and my new beds. We are offering the best products ever for the best prices ever. For example, we have the standard size MyPillows, regularly $69.98, now only $19.98 with your promo code. Or you can get custom fit with my premium queen size MyPillows, regularly $79.98, now just $29.98. Or my king size, regularly $89.98, now just $34.98. So go to MyPillow.com now and use the promo code on your screen or call the 1-800 number below to receive these exclusive offers. Thank you and God bless. So that's 800-975-2939, And your promo code, I'll bet you can't guess this one, is BARDS, B-A-R-D-S, B-A-R-D-S. Also, thefoundersbible.com, thefoundersbible.com. And that's for the home of what I consider to be the Bible for our time. It's an NASB 1995 edition with our founders' documents worked with throughout the Scripture so it's not only a history lesson, but it's a history in God's word. Combined education to also appreciate how much scripture was part of the living language of our founding fathers. And you can get 20% off by using your promo code BARDS in the coupon section of at checkout, which is great. And finally, we have Expedition, X-P-E-D, ExpeditionCoffee.com, which is the home of the Bards Coffee designed for this warrior fight that we're in today. It gives you high-focused energy, gives you sustained energy across the whole day. It helps clear your mind and boost your serotonin, which is it's kind of the foundation to the whole health ecosystem that's presented there. And then you can get the other products while you're there, which include the Gut Health Triad, which helps heal and seal your gut, Immune XP, which boosts your immune system with a pine cone extract high in vitamin C, you have Pure 47, which is a refined silver nano extract, it's nano level, not nano itself, nano level, which can isolate pathogens and including all the range of SARS-CoV nonsense that's in your body. And finally, Earth, which is a full body supplement, nutrient powder that you mix with water, drink like a shake. That's everything you need to help secure your body's health, boost your immune system, and reclaim your body's sovereignty. And you can get all that at Expedition, X-P-E-D, ExpeditionCoffee.com. Well, Patriots, I think that as we were going through chat in the previous um, show, someone put up Esther 414, which I thought was so appropriate for the discussions we've been having of this time. I'm going to read that. For if you keep silent at this time, liberation and rescue will arise for the Jews from another place. And you and your father's house will perish. And who knows whether you have not attained royalty for such a time as this. It's really a stark reminder of the need for action. We've kind of moved long past the idea of houses, meaning bloodlines and lineage and, and the pride of being part of a house or a family or a lineage. 
And that's the one downside that we find in, in our history here in America, in our history that's been so completely severed and broken. We have had a very discontinuous discontinuity in our history since the beginning. And there's a lot of ruptures. And if you, if you study this, you'll see that more and more it gets bizarre beyond imagination. We have this very strange history that goes with each of the big cities. Always a World's Fair tied to it. Usually a fire that follows it. And some sort of form of a historical reset that goes along with it. So Chicago, New Orleans, San Francisco. And there's a lot of questions as to the actual histories of these places. And you can look it up. I mean, this is not something new. It's not something that, like I'm coming up with randomly. It's, it's really bizarre. And the mausoleum in San Francisco, for some strange reason, nobody is born before 1850. Figure that one out. Um, there's just a lot of, and you, if you know about the Chicago's World's Fair, it is a bizarre event because we, obviously we had the Ferris wheel there, which I did a story on. But they lit this whole place up with electricity, massive construction that they did in like 18 months, and then bulldozed it and burned it all down. It, it is, you, you, more than you look at it, you're like, that was weird. Why would you go to all that work and build those places that looked so Romanesque? All these places looked Romanesque, by the way. I remember seeing recently Nancy Pelosi's staff within the last year. She holds this, holds this staff up as a speaker, and it has this big eagle on top. That's a Romanesque staff. And you have that same symbolism around all these world's fairs, which is really weird. And then suddenly the world's fair is just kind of evaporated. So, Oh, it's, I just saw this SGT had a podcast about that today. I'm on, I'm going to be on Sean's show next week, by the way. I don't know when he airs it. I know we're recording next week, so I'm going to be recording with him next week. I like Sean a lot. He's got a great show. I know I should push him more because he's uh, Sean is one of those out there that has had a show steadily for years, just rock solid and um, great. Uh, he's a great Patriot. And I mean, whether or not you agree with him all the time is irrelevant. His research is solid as can be. He, he does great shows. So anyway, um, I, I, don't listen to him as much as I'd like to just because of my time, but one of my go-to channels, just so I say it. So where I was going with this is that the, the, the whole concept in this Esther 414 is that there was a choice given to make, to make the move now to help save your people or if you are silent Someone else will come, but it doesn't mean that your house will survive. That meant something then. Today, I think people would be like, okay, well, big deal. I'm like, I was going to sell it anyway. That's not what we're talking about. The house is what we're talking about is the lineage, the home, uh, the house of. So it's the, the bloodlines of that family. And that's a pretty profound statement. And if we apply that to today, which I believe is still true, each one of us has an important role to play, and it is time that we must not be silent, but it is time to stand up and proclaim the royalty which we have been given for a time such as this. 
And that's the real reminder within Esther 4.14 and something I think is extremely pressing in this day. And with that, I think we're reminded as well with James 1.17. Every good thing given and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shifting shadow. We literally are in this time with all the gifts that we need, and they continue to be poured down upon us. To deal with this fight in the appropriate way and win. The problem I think we get messed up in most often is we try to operate on the enemy's terms. Fundamental to any war, if you really are appreciating what's said in the uh, in Sun Tzu, is this, is that we work within, if we're going to operate successfully in war, we have to know the enemy as well as we know ourselves. But we do ourselves thing real easy. We're like, oh, yeah, I know myself. And it's just we glaze over it. If we're going to truly understand us, that means our us has to deconstruct the ego us that has been formed over this lifetime of abuse and negativity and obsession with material things. That has to be the beginning. And then we have to literally shift ourselves into that intimacy and essence of the walk in Christ so that we become deep within that walk within Christ and through the Father and to the Father. And at that point, we begin to truly know ourself because as we know that, we're able to then approach the enemy from the eyes of Christ. When we, and that's where everything given is from above and it's, and I just love this, with whom there is no variation or shifting shadow. There is, there is no disputing the perfection and the truth that comes and the knowledge that comes from above. What we end up disputing is how we hear it because our hearts and our minds have become so polluted with this corruption of this world. And we have to spend more time building that intimacy within Christ to hear Father more clearly. And Father speaks very clearly. We just don't hear very clearly. It's kind of like, yeah, I got wax in your ears. Uh, Father, I don't know. I thought I heard you. Do you have wax in your ears? Well, I didn't clean them today with a Q-tip. Go clean your ears because I've been talking to you. I mean, it's that sort of thing, right? And so we have an obligation to listen, and listening is a hard thing. Really, I have to say, big compliments to everybody last night because David Martin pushed pushed some windows last night. I don't mind saying that's why I said make sure and listen because he he had some great things to say, but there were some points there when I'm sure I know him. People had wrote me and said, "Dude, I was about ready to just shut that thing off at a certain point, and I'm so glad I didn't." That was the response. I had a number of those because there were some really good points made, but. That's just it, is we tend to want to not hear things. And when I talk about like some of the work I did in Afghanistan, and it's, I've done that same work. I've had to use those same methods around the world. I had to do it when I was in Bosnia for a while. I had to do it when I was in Korea. I had to do it when I was in Vietnam. And it's the ability to move through 
and get to the get to the problem. Vietnam is a good example of just having to get to the true, like understand people well enough in a immediacy, get understand what their gifts and talents were before me. And this is purely father led. But I I had to do to get to Vietnam. I had to fly planes, trains, and automobiles. It was insane. By the time that I was flying, for whatever reason, I there's a real easy flight out of Seattle that goes Seattle essentially Tokyo and Tokyo into Hanoi. But all of those flights were booked for like two weeks. So I ended up having to fly from Seattle to LA, LA to Hong Kong, Hong Kong to Hanoi. And so what should have been about a 12 to 14 hour trip became a 38 hour trip, which was insane. So when I arrived in Hanoi, I was this then informed that the interior flights in Hanoi were now weren't working well for whatever reason. They had some problem with their internal aircraft. So I had to take a train from Hanoi to meet up with the team that was waiting for me over near the coast. And so literally I was on flight in travel for about, as I recall, the total time was about 42 46 hours, something like that, by the time I finally arrived at the destination. Constant travel, by the way. Miserable trip. And I, when I got to the ground, I assumed that I had time to go to the hotel, do a quick change shower, and maybe get an hour or two rest. That wasn't the case at all. The team picked me up and said, we've got our interpreter. We have to go. Our window is now. We have to get our job done in the next eight hours. So, we did, and what I ha- I was there to film. We were doing some old old tunnel systems in Vietnam, and I had to film it and build a story in a place I'd never been with people I'd never worked with within a language I didn't speak. It was kind of fun, but it turned out fantastic because part of that that I had learned so well in Afghanistan was to listen well to who people were, and to kind of immediately put that story together to like okay, and so the this guy that we find out that's like this little, he's kind of a young, kind of a midget looking guy. We find out that this young, this man, that's a somewhat of a midget. He's a midget because he had had damage when he was young because he grew up during the bombings of the tunnel systems, which they lived in. And they were literally living two to 300 feet underground as we were bombing the heck out of the whole place. So anyway, it creates a fantastic story. So what's my point? Because you're like, okay, good, nice story. What, what, what are you getting at here? The ability to find our way through things is our ability to listen and to observe as Father wants us to see. So our hearing is connected to what we see. And we, if we're going to see what we want to see with predetermination, we're going to judge. As an example, is that short man. He looked like, I was like, oh, you know, this guy can't, he has, he has a stutter, he couldn't speak well. But he was an unbelievable wealth of knowledge and stories. So I was able to work with the interpreter to translate his Vietnamese to get his stories so that then I could do, have you ever seen that show Cities of the Underground in, in, in uh, History Channel? We kind of did one of those type approaches. I did one of those approaches of telling this whole thing, Cities of the Underground. And what was fantastic is by shooting it in segments and I was able to use that 
small man with his interpretation and storytelling, I was able to get out of him all the stories, and we went through the whole tunnel system down like 300 feet below ground, talking about what had happened in the past. It was great. And we and that was a time frame that was compressed. Didn't have weeks to build the story. We had minutes to build the story and turned into a few hours of filming. The ability and the necessity to listen and not to be prejudgment as we go into engagements. There is literally nothing more important in our world than engaging each other. And engagement builds itself on good listening. And I think if there's one great lesson out of Christ's strength in this world, it is that, that he would, his engagement with people, his ability to hear and listen to people and be able to convey to them all that he needed to because he didn't have time to sit in. He's moving a lot. So a lot of these places he's going to, he's going to once. Because you remember the story, he's down by the water and his, his disciples come down to him. Master, master, where have you been? We've been looking all over for you. And, he's, and he says, we must go to the next village. I must finish what I've come out to do. And it's such a, a abrupt and interesting statement because they're waiting for him. The village is waiting for him to return. And he's like, no, they got what they need. I'm moving on. We got to keep moving. And he's moving to complete a mission. But he's hearing and listening to them at the same time. It's critical to how we are going to work in this world because if we're working on prejudgment, as we all do, we're not going to get through to those that we need to and we're not going to be able to convey the message deep that we need to. And hence, that takes us to Matthew 18.20. For where two or three have gathered together in my name, I am here in their midst. That is such a powerful moment to bring in, and he is there in our midst. So if we're listening and we're coming together and we're communicating and we're having that conversation and it's truly shared in the center around Christ, it doesn't matter whether one person is right there with you at the same point in Christ, but we're having that common place with Christ as the center point and however we're doing it, maybe Christ in our heart, maybe Christ is in our words, he is there in our midst. He's literally bringing in all that he is around us. That's an intimate space that we've created. And it's going to center on our ability to enter each other with open heart and purity with our eyes and our ears as God would give us eyes to see and ears to hear. Not to come in and go, oh, you're, you're, oh I can't believe you showed up at the meeting with ketchup on your shirt. I'm disgusted or whatever that may be, right? You've got nose hairs. Did you trim your noses before we came to meet? I mean, that sort of thing, right? Because you know people are like that. I mean, they, they sit there. You can see it when you're talking to them. Like, you know, you don't know. For example, like say you've got, you had lunch or something. There's like a little seed in your teeth. And you try to be really good, but you know it's there. And you can, you can watch their eyes every time you're talking. They're watching your lips to find that one little glimpse of that little black seed that's on the upper part of your front tooth and it's tucked under the gum. And you just want to go, you're not listening. What's the problem? You're not listening. And, and you know, they're not going to say anything. You know, and so you, you're like, oh, because you, and you're, you're totally off track when you're, when you're trying to be on track. Okay. Well, if we can put aside those trivialities and we all do it at one point or another, and we can truly be present in a conversation, I'm telling you, it's a different world. 
how many times have you gone to a conversation and someone's talking to you and the phone rings and then there's a text and so they're talking to you as they're texting and and it's literally like one of the things that drives me nuts. I will literally walk out of a conversation if somebody does that to me. I'm like, oh, I can't do this. Because there's, there's, you can't do dual multitasking. And there's, I don't care what people say, because you're not able to be fully present in one conversation and another conversation. I mean, it's, you can't be fully present in two conversations simultaneously. They're trying to tell you you can Maybe if you're transhuman, you might be able to. If you go get that clot shot and you get all that tech in you and you hook yourself up to 5G, maybe you can. I don't know. I guess that's part of the quantum system, but not going to be me. So we have to be present. And when we do, we truly are bringing in the full power of Matthew 1820. And I think that's a glorious thing. But again, it's presence in our listening. There's a really beautiful passage that I think reminds us then of really where we're at. That's John 17, 7 to 11. Now they have come to know that everything you have given to me is from you. For the words which you gave me, I have given to them. And they received them and truly understood that I came forth from you. You and they believed that you sent me. I ask on their behalf. I do not ask on behalf of the world, but of those whom you have given me, for they are yours, and all things that are mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I have been glorified in them. I am no longer in the world, and yet they themselves are in the world, and I come to you, Father. Keep them in your name, the name which you have given me, that they may be one even as we are. I think what's so profound about this passage is that When we are there and we are remembering what Christ was doing and Christ is there in our midst, and I do believe that, that we are truly part of everything that Father gave to Christ. And if we will respect the times that we're together and we respect what that is to be together, how sacred a space that is. We're in a, it's a very profound moment that we truly have to honor and cherish in fellowship. We take for granted too much our interactions. And how many times do we sit and we, again, we talk, we don't pay a lot of attention, we're, to, we're worried about whether the dinner's going to be hot or cold, we're worried about the newspaper headline, we're worried about our next meeting. The times that we have together are sacred. I was um, in an accident in 2001. I was driving down the freeway in Portland, Oregon. I was heading south 
near what is known as the Broadway exit. I was running, my, I had my construction company at that point in time, and I was in the fast lane. And traffic had suddenly, as it always did in this time of day, stacked up and came to a near sudden stop. In fact, I was at a stop. The, there was cars about as far as I can see. There was a small space, and then there was a cement divider on my left side, which divided, which was the north and south lanes. And behind me was a loaded Mack truck with a full trailer. And the guy was talking on a cell phone. And I looked up and realized I was going to get hit. There was no way around it. And it was going to be bad because he was doing full speed. He was doing about 60 miles an hour as he was closing in on the van. And so I braced myself to be rear-ended in a big way. And I was about six feet off the bumper of the first vehicle ahead of me. Well, he hit the van. He turned a Ford Econoline into a Pinto, literally. And just as he hit, I was given a vision to turn the wheel to the left. And I just remember as I blacked out, I cranked the wheels to the left. It's what saved my life, to be honest with you. Because what happened is as he hit the van with the wheels turned to the left, the van made a hard left turn as he rear-ended it as he was collapsing it, and it drove the van hard into that center concrete divider. And then the van snapped around, and I was up on its edge. So the one, two wheels were up on the concrete divider and two wheels were on the ground. And it launched me like a rocket. Seven car lengths down. I didn't hit a single car ahead of me, which is an unbelievable thing. Because there was only about six feet or so between the car ahead of me and, and only six feet from that car to that space between the cars and that concrete divider. So... What I remember very clearly is as I blacked out, I had just had a, a pretty vicious argument over something extremely stupid with a friend of mine. And I remember thinking as I blacked out how sad it was that the last memory that I had, I, I frankly thought I was dead. Some say I had a near-death experience. I don't know. not going to go into that tonight. But the last thoughts I had that were conscious was how sad it was that the last engagement I had, last encounter I had with my friend was an argument over something stupid. That was going to be our last memories. And that has stuck with me the rest of my life, I will be honest with you. Because we, we just don't value the times that we have. We take life so much for granted. And when we take life for granted, we forget the gifts that God gives us. And engagement and personal interaction, I don't think there's, and this is where I go back to Matthew 18, 20, for where, there, where two or three have gathered together in my name, I hear, I, I am there in their midst. That is a very 
sacred and powerful space when we come together. And we need to cherish it. And as we cherish it, I think we build and create something greater than ourselves. And that's with the presence of God is an incredible force. So I, I guess what I would say is cherish the moments that you have and value them. And if we can value more the moments we have and worry less about the moments they're trying to create, especially in our head and about futures unwritten, and we're living fully in the midst, God can determine the future. We're here to fight the war every day. And in the trust, just like a good soldier, the soldier isn't worried about the tomorrows and they're not worried about the weeks ahead and they're not worried about the direction of the campaign. A good soldier is focused on the target ahead of them, getting that mission done completely successfully and returning home safely. A soldier's mission is more based on violence. If you're a special forces soldier, believe it or not, the majority of your work is done in an engagement, not in lethal action. So if you look at yourself as a special forces soldier of God, the majority of our work should always be engagement and bringing people closer to Christ. And if we're really going to do that, we're going to have to listen and value completely what is before us to realize that for where two or three are gathered together in my name, I am there in their midst, is a powerful framework for what we're doing. You know, it's just, there's so many old adages about you know, don't get up, go to bed angry, never leave a meeting with, with hatred between people. There's so many things like that. And it's all about, I think it's a different value of time. In Afghanistan, it's an interesting thing because the life expectancy, which hasn't changed much is when I, since when I was there, it's, it's somewhere around the average life expectancy is about 45 to 50 years old. Now, I will tell you that's a very unusual place to be. Our average life expectancy here is somewhere around 75 years old. We refer to midlife as 40 years old. In Afghanistan, that midlife can be between 23 and 25 years old. Now, think about that. 22, 23, most people here, are just most kids these days are just learning how not to wear diapers. In, in the world of, in Afghanistan, at 22 or 23, they're already building families, getting jobs, and thinking about the end of their life. It's a very different perspective and a different, very, very different value set and a very different value on life itself. So you tend to find a higher level of maturity and a greater awareness of the fragileness of life than you do here. There, we take a lot of this for granted. We get sloppy, we get lazy, and in the process, we don't value. And that is also indicative with how we treat our, our family, our elderly, our mother and father, our grandparents, etc. The older cultures value grandparents. They very frequently, the families live together. You don't see, you typically in the older cultures, you don't see families cast off into old people's homes. Now, where do you see that in a 
What other culture besides the United States do you see that happen a lot? China, where the elderly in the modern cities now with the kids are being cast away to old folks' homes. In fact, I mean, it's just indicative to the type of world we've been accepting here in the United States. I, I don't, I'm not surprised in a communist country to see them kick their old folks out, but it is kind of unbelievable considering it wasn't that long ago when the value of the ancestral line was extremely high in China and how quickly that has been degraded. They even have allowed Christian groups to come in in China to set up retirement homes because they don't have the capacity themselves and they've given latitude in the communist country to allow Western Christian organizations to set up retirement homes, which I'm sure have all sorts of other requirements, which most of these corrupt organizations probably agree with. But nonetheless, we have to get past the disposable engagement and disposable concepts within our culture. Having conversations with one another, meeting, coming together, gathering, building fellowship, that's not a disposable moment. It's a sacred moment, a moment that God values highly. It's something that transitions us from being of the old matrix into God's world as we value that. And it allows us to truly grow. I, you know, I have talked a lot about this and I'm going to talk a lot more about this. And it is the whole principle of how we treat our elderly, which to me centers back on how we just look at our world. Children, unless they're, unless they don't have parents, children have, ad, should have advocates. Sadly, too many parents have walked around in this zombie stupor and have now accepted this garbage about giving children vaxes. And that's not something that we can really fix when a parent is following a false narrative, believing their own fears, and now inculcating a child with their own fears. We can't protect a lot of that. We need to speak up about it, but we can't protect the child from it necessarily because they're in a a parent's care. But who's being the vocal voices, for that matter, for our elderly? We hear a lot about child sex trafficking. We see little done about it. We hear a lot about parents giving children shots as they shouldn't. Not much is done about it. We don't have much activity from anybody standing up on this issue other than talking a lot about it. But even at that point, who is really speaking out against our, for our elderly? I mean, at least the discussion of children getting vaxxed and children being trafficked is in the news. Tell me where anywhere in our news it is saying that the elderly shouldn't get this shot. Have you noticed that? Our parents have literally, your parents or grandparents, depending on the age, have no advocates right now. And that's a moral bankruptcy of our culture. That's a sin and a burden we have to carry. And the elderly are at the mercy, many times, of the care home, which we just got a report in Oregon from one of our representatives. It is so atrocious what some of the care homes are doing here. I mean, literally, like not feeding their elderly for days, not washing them, not taking care of them. These are elderly that have dependency upon a system 
And the families, if the families are around, have cast them out because it's easier to send them to a home than deal with that responsibility from within. This drives me crazy. And if we're going to change a culture and we think that on one hand we can, well, I can't really do much about kids because it's out of my control. And at the same time, well, I'm going to cast my parents off to a retirement home so I can have a better me life. If we think for a second that those burdens aren't going to be cast upon us as sins on this nation, we're fooling ourselves. It is unbelievable what we are doing to our elderly. And there's no advocacy for it. And I say advocacy, there is nobody writing about it in the mainstream news. There is not a politician, including Trump, that's speaking out against it. In fact, it gets worse. We need to give the the vaccine to elderly because they're at risk. What, 94.8% is the highest rate that we've ever seen of risk? And we're talking about 70 and above when an average age in this nation is 72. So we're going to inject all of our elderly in hopes that we can eradicate them. Where is this, where is this screaming advocacy that we need? There isn't from, I don't care where you are. I don't care if you're in the gateway pundit, zero hedge, or if you're an MSN or or CNN, nobody is speaking out for the elderly. Nobody. It's just like, well, you know, they're getting old. Yeah, whatever. You know, Klaus says they're they're useless leaders. Trump says they need to get the vax. Biden says they need to get the vax. They're both old. They must know what they're talking about. You know, this is crazy. And I have heard, as you know, I have heard, I'm out. It just drives me nuts. The, the, The movement around Q is like, defending Trump vehemently right now about trying to give you the linkages to all the EOs he signed and really what it means and the fact that he's hiding, he's using the vax because he's fighting the cabal and he can't do anything else. Okay. I mean, okay. Sounds like a great story, but actions prove otherwise. And it's not acceptable because you can't have it both ways. You can't be protecting a class of people and telling that same class of people to take the injection and be able to say, well, yeah, I was actually protecting them by telling them to take it because even though I knew it was going to kill them, I was protecting them because I couldn't tell them that they, they shouldn't take it because if I did, I'd harm my family and I would expose more people to the... That's nonsense. And that's literally the this, this circle logic that's being used over and over. All this comes down to how we value each other and value engagement and value that in time together. Because apparently in our society, we just don't value the time together with our parents. And that's really sad. And I have a friend, I I have a lot of respect for him. His dad was one of the biggest a-holes I had ever met. This guy, his dad was, I, I swear was a psychopath. He would go out of his way to belittle his son, my friend, who was literally a war hero. There's no other way to say it. And he would go out of his way to tell people things about him put him down in front of people, make him sound like he was incompetent. And my friend 
stayed with his father, never got an I love you, never got a thank you. He stayed with his father until his father took his last breath in hospital. And whatever exchange happened between them, he accepted it the way he needed to. He said he found closure, which I'm happy for him, and then gave his the eulogy at the funeral and said nothing but great things about his dad. That's hard to do. But I'm going to tell you, that's somebody who was dedicated to the path of fulfilling what he needed to do as the son. If we had more of that in our society, more care for each other to that level, we would have better relations across all levels and we would have a deeper respect across our culture because we were caring for our parents and our elderly. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, in this time when there is so much chaos, we just pray that people can feel that importance of spending time to listen and spend time to value the relationships that we have, the personal, physical engagements that we have. We've become a culture so dependent, Lord, on the digital world that we forget the human interaction, the complexities, the nuances, the importance of fellowship too often. Lord, tonight in particular, we pray for our elderly. So many are being cast aside by their children. So many are being cast aside and forgotten to state institutions to turn them over, to be cared for so people can live a me world. Forgive us for our sins. Lord, I, I, this, a nation cannot survive, as you very well know, if we don't care and tend to the sanctity of our children and care and tend to the sanctity of our parents. And yet here we are. So Lord, we pray for our forgiveness of this nation. We, we humble ourselves before you and pray that you'll forgive us for these sins. But more than forgiving us, Lord, give us the righteous fire. Let that fire awaken within us to stand up and not allow this to continue. Who is going to advocate for those that have no defenders? who cannot defend for themselves. And yet, Lord, you have told us and reminded us that those are part of the basic tenets in this walk in life. We have to find that strength, Lord. And so we put ourselves before you this night. Humbled, with open heart, asking for forgiveness for a nation's sins and asking that you can guide us to be better and to help right those wrongs as need be, to become voices where we can for the advocacy of those that cannot help themselves or protect themselves. There is too much evil in this world to see this damage continue.
Guide us, Lord, protect us, forgive us. And we say these things in Christ Jesus' name. Amen. We correct those wrongs. We have a chance to reset this nation. We let those wrongs continue. Our nation deserves what it gets. And so as we're running around thinking about the morrows and concerning ourselves with our prepping stocks and what we're going to do if they come in with Vax passports and what are you going to do if they start requiring injections or whatever. Do take some time each day to pause. Reflect on the children, but especially reflect on the elderly that have no advocates. Sure, there's children that don't have much of an advocate, but there's plenty of elderly that have none. We can't let that stand. Have a blessed night, Patriots. Tomorrow night, I've got Michael Beatty on. He was going to be on tonight, like I said earlier, but I changed that schedule. It's kind of crazy, busy day today, so he's going to be on tomorrow night. Look forward to having Michael Beatty on. He's going to be great. So keep your head up and your eyes forward. Never bow to evil. Never relent. Always press into the fight. Keep our prayers focused on that value, that relationship, that intimate relationship with Christ Jesus, that intimate relationship with Father, and the intimate relationships that we build with one another. God is with us. He'll never forsake us. Sometimes I think he wants to boot us in the butt for what we do, and that would be rightfully done. But we can change things if we trust in him and let him guide us purely. And God's going to win this, and he trusts us in this time to do just that. So it's time to be strong. It's time to be heard. It's time to let the righteous fires burn. See you tomorrow night for Bards FM. Until then or until the next time. God bless. Good night. Thank you. And out for now. All this time we had to prove That we could stand here too All the nights been pushing through Fight for all we had to lose Reaching out for something To pull us up to level ground Oh, I can see it now I can see it now Down, I can see it now.
sits down over the hill where the lost got found. Reaching through somehow. Oh, you're an island when the world is too loud. When the seasons change, I know the space between us will stay the same. Resting on this faith, when your soul answers calls far away. Thank、you.